0: Talking Football with Eric Malpas, the Silver Fox, and Vince, the Prince Tracy. Talking Football. So, very good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It's the 28th of June 2022. And, of course... Um if we didn't make it crystal clear last week, then I have to tell you that uh, sadly we lost Eric. That's uh, Eric, of course, who I uh, started today with the jingle. And today, uh, Anne and I are going across to um, a little celebration of his life in a bar in Albia where he used to live. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, barbara Ann. So good morning and welcome to you.
1: Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Thank Uh, you.
0: And, of course, uh, a quick update on the weather. It's roasting hot. Um, It's not quite as hot as it has been, uh, but it still is very hot. And, of course, we're coming into the very, very hottest part of the year here in Spain. Um, For those listening in that haven't maybe heard the Very sad news, Eric went into hospital about two weeks ago, I phoned him to make our podcast as normal, I could tell from his voice that he wasn't really well and sure enough the next day um, he was taken into hospital. So let's just pay a little attention to Eric and um, I mean he was a lovely gentle person wasn't he Anne?
1: Yeah, very, very, very much a gentleman, as you say. Um, You know, he always had a good, never had a bad word to say for anybody. Uh, Lots and lots of people, I think, will be there this afternoon at the bar to celebrate his life. Uh, I think he's been here nearly forty years, at least thirty something, anyway, with um, with his wife, um, who sadly died a couple of years ago. But, um, yeah, we've known Eric, I would say, 18, 19 years nearly. And uh, he's always been very nice. Always. I think uh, what I
0: liked about Eric more than anything was he was always a Man City supporter. When he first came to the show on on the third radio and, uh, you know, he was a piece of mini-disc and then I eventually managed to meet him and get him to come into the studio. Um, he was always the first to... Um, supporters football club Manchester City who at that time hadn't been bought by the Arabs and therefore you know the team was still not in its ascendancy that it has become over the yeah, past not, couple not of years. as good
1: as uh, Ban United were now, Man City have taken over from Manchester United haven't they?
0: And of course the other thing was he knew that uh, Liverpool has always had great traditions So we always had a bit of banter. But um, I think realistically, when you look at the way some football um, fans actually let it become a little bit nasty, I think Eric never let let it get near there, did he?
1: I think he appreciated all football. I mean, he must have watched so much football on the television. He said he was a bit sick and tired of it sometimes. um, So he did did, uh, not support, but he watched lots of other teams where as some people that support one team aren't interested in any other team uh but eric was sort of an all-rounder really uh that's why when he was on the radio with you uh he could talk about other other teams and because he'd watched the game you know so mm. that was the, that was the, he was really quite a sort of pundit wasn't he really
0: and of course many times we'd go down to al and you'd see eric on his travels going around to get his sponsorship sorted out Yes and sadly you know over previous years you could see the technology was taking over and he was sort of i, I think struggling a little bit with the with the technology
1: yeah. well he, well, before his wife died sadly uh, she was really more up to doing the um the computer uh, and then uh, 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 uh sorry eric uh, really wasn't really up to scratch to doing it really
0: no uh, terry magic was the the guy that came in and uh, helped Eric, with that. But let's uh, look at some of the things that are going to uh, affect our conversation today, then. And I'm going next to um, one of the articles in the newspapers today. And this is the Ukrainian Premier League football plans to restart in August which is absolutely, uh, well, I was gobsbacked to to read this because obviously uh, there's a war going on and um, I would have thought football maybe was one of the things that would be suffering. But despite two of the three cities earmarked to host matches being hit by airstrikes, as Russia steps up attacks on civilian targets... Um, and then we read a little bit more about the detail. So let me see what we're saying here. Um, it tells me that the Ukrainian Premier League is targeting August the 20th for the return of the competition, despite the ongoing war. And um In yet another brave show of defiance from Ukraine, the top flight has pressed on with plans to run a 16-team competition starting in just under eight weeks, and it has appealed to other European clubs for support. But Russian attacks on civilian targets in Kiev and Lviv, and uh, yesterday's attack on a shopping centre in uh, Kremenchuk, uh, killing at least 18 people, will raise concern over current plans. Um, I mean from mm. a an operation point of view y- you'd be thinking well hang on um if you've got a crowd of people in a stadium that's going to be a target isn't it exactly
1: I, I I can't understand it really because um you'd think it would just be uh, cancelled the whole the whole season wouldn't you while this was all going on and as you say if people did go to support them in a stadium it would be av- it would be well most probably advertised at the and the Russians, you know, could come over and just bomb, bomb the, um, the stadium.
0: Well, going on with the article as President uh, Zelensky addressed the leaders of the G7 countries via a video link in Germany on Monday, pleading for more weapons. Ukrainian football teams continued to return for their pre-season training, the Premier League has committed this restart of the competition. And there's been disagreement about whether to allow clubs to play league games outside Ukraine. But according to local media, the cities of Kiev, uh, Lviv, and another one, which uh, I'm not going to even try to uh, pronounce, uh, but it's by the Slovakian border, have been selected to host the teams in behind-closed-doors matches. And... um, Having said this, y- you know, the, the priorities really do seem a little strange, don't they?
1: Yeah. Um, did you say that they're not going to play them in Ukraine? They're going to play them in, uh, in the other countries, well, the yeah, but games? I think I think
0: this will probably be just the pre-season warm-up games, you yeah. know? Um,
1: well, looking at the television and looking at the bombing situation and the devastation and everything else, I just don't really think it's necessary to play football
0: well you see this is the
1: oh uh, if it was in a, in another country representing ukraine i, I would agree you know so sort to of think that would be possible but not to have the matches in ukraine
0: but i mean if you've got the papers i'm just looking now uh, about verney club uh, said he believes this particular team he's talking about can upset the elite of Ukrainian football, and the infrastructure at his new club is of a high quality. Now, I would imagine that um, Putin is like uh, all of us. We 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 read a headline like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to say, well, oh, okay. There's a there's my next target, isn't exactly, it? You know,
1: exactly. It's, it's going to be. It's got to be either totally in secret and, as you say, behind closed doors. But is it really, really necessary? Is it really necessary? Lots and 1000000s th- millions, haven't they, have left the country uh, in fear? Would they, would they really be interested in um, listening to their football team?
0: Well, I suppose one of the things that this relates to is when Eric and myself were talking on her to Thero about. Uh, The the football and the telephone went, and uh, a lady that we both know, um, um, Mary, phones in, and uh, she was sort of asking, Why am I talking about football? And of course, my answer was because football is important, it's because people, worldwide, you know, people relate to it, and that it can lift a nation as well as maybe plunge people into the depths of despair if their teams have lost Mm -hmm. but this surely is a bizarre example of what i was talking about you know if uh, if you feel as the president of your country that it can lift people true it, it doesn't relate to what i'm seeing on tv because i'm seeing pictures of people being bombed um their homes being bombed their um infrastructure being ruined and very, very elderly people being left behind and being interviewed about um, nothing to do with football. It mm-hmm. was uh, all about you know how they're managing to cope, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, but as you say, um, there's lots of uh, gone to other countries, haven't they, to, while this is all going on, and um, they want Ukraine to be Ukraine and not be taken over. So in another way, you could say that it's showing strength in Ukraine that they'll never give up. I mean, people that are living in uh, London or anywhere in England or any other country who are Ukraines, they'll say, "Yes, you know, just show it, We're not going to give up, and we're still going to, we're still going to fight for our football and um, things like that." I mean, there could be that way of looking at it, but it's very sad for the people who are left behind because they're old and they've got nowhere to go. Um, would, it, would it make any difference to them? I don't think so.
0: When uh, we started this podcast, I was trying to explain to everybody, n- not just Eric, but everybody, that football is part of society. It's not the other way around. It's not that uh, society is part of football. And I think one thing that um, what we're seeing now is how football can influence society. So you've obviously got um, people who, for whatever their particular motives, um, are looking at whether or not football can lift the nation. Now, if it can lift the nation, I don't really think they're talking about the older folks in society.
1: The the younger generation coming up, they they want their country to be still recognised, don't they?
0: Well, I mean, I can see straight away that if you want to have... um, maybe the, the young people knowing that they've got a young vibrant country uh, think it would be necessary to have a football team to show uh, that they can compete on the world stage which it was all, all happening beforehand mm-hmm. um, whereas now of course uh, it becomes another thing let me find another topic then and um, I'll just play a little bit of music while we sort this one out Okay, so um, I was looking for material that would be interesting to our listeners, especially in the light of... um, Eric and I were beginning to develop themes away from the actual football, but things that really uh, are part of football. For example, I'm looking at one of the headlines, Iceland's Sarah Bjork, uh, Gunas Dottir mean, I've got some names to try and pronounce today. On being a mother and professional footballer. And this was an article that took my eye. And it's about football playing mothers will figure in this summer's Euros like never before. With enough mums across the teams to form their own first 11 and a handful of substitutes. So you don't think of uh, some of the footballers who are playing these days, obviously, at much higher levels that they've ever played before, you don't think of them as being mums, do you?
1: <laughs> well, I do. I do because I'm a woman. I mean, you can't get... Uh, you know, you've got women of um, between 20 and, say, 30. It's pretty well, you know, nearly guaranteed that some of them will be married or have children uh, with a partner. Isn't it really? It's like, well, like yeah, the but age this of is, having children, isn't
0: it? The, this is the thing about women's football that there is a misconception that you've got to be more like a tomboy mm, than, yeah, exactly. than than you know a feminine, pretty girl to yeah. be playing football. And and many of them are very, very attractive, very pretty girls, mm. but very robust when it comes to playing the game.
1: Yeah, but this is where it's a, a slight sort of difference between the m- the men and the women obviously uh, because uh i wouldn't uh, you, you know you can't stop a woman that's married or or wants to have a baby whereas the men don't have that difficulty do they i mean they just uh, well they don't have to they, they don't have babies it's <laughs> as simple as that but a woman having a career in football or rugby or any sport really has to have time off when she's pregnant, and then time for recovery afterwards. So you're talking most probably a good year from the beginning of the pregnancy or halfway through to halfway through the baby. So they have a they have to have a year off at least when they're professional um, athletes or footballers or whatever.
0: Well, do they? Because I I think that maybe it's because they're a f- uh, professional athletes. That they don't need as much time off um no, no, no. Let, let's see what the article says anyway so it says um iceland's lineup includes the most mothers five in total and that explains why during the last competitive meetup for the world cup qualifiers in april they talk at one table turned to babies I remember we were about six players sitting with a coffee and just talking about our birth experiences. The newest mum in the squad, midfielder Sarah Bjork, Gunnar's daughter, told BBC Sports. So obviously BBC have seen the need to, to cover this particular topic. Having given birth to a son in November and with her sights set on a comeback in time for the Euros, the 31-year-old record caps holder now looks back on that chat. As an important one, when you have role models playing and at a good level, having a baby and coming back still on the national team, that did a lot for me, she says. And you can see quite honestly that that um, th- this brings another dimension to the game of football because in the past you, you really wouldn't have thought of um, you know the the fact that if you've got a uh, um, shall we say a, a, any lady who basically wants to start a family. In the past, you wouldn't have really reconciled that with a football uh, match very quickly, would you?
1: No, but but the difference being that they're super fit, aren't they? They're super fit, they have trained, their body, uh, they don't put a lot of weight on uh, while they're pregnant like um, a lot of girls, unfortunately, do because their body is trained uh, and is very, very tight and fit so I think um, that when they've had the baby, they lose their baby weight very, very quickly. They'll go to the gym, you know, really quite quickly as well to get back into shape. Much more than a woman that's not a professional athlete.
0: Yeah, we've seen that w- with um, friends and family, haven't we? You know, those that do sport.
1: Get back uh, they, they, slimmer yeah. straight away. Yeah.
0: So um, well, we'll just... Stay with Iceland for a moment. Uh, Iceland, you don't think of Iceland as being a big influential nation when it comes to football, or much apart from the Cod Wars in the in the 60s. Icelanders are positive going into the Euros and see a great opportunity to qualify from Group D. France are obviously the favourites, but we believe we can do well against them, as well as against Belgium and Italy. Saying we expect to qualify would perhaps be be a bit strong, but we hope and really believe that we can. The form of the team has been very good in the last year. Iceland have lost only two competitive games against very strong teams to the Netherlands and United States. Now, the Netherlands is an interesting one because uh, England were playing the Netherlands in a friendly last week. And I said to you, that'll be a difficult game for England. I think they had beaten us in the previous yeah. tournament. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't see the game because obviously we were busy doing all sorts of things. And we find that... Um, the, the Lionesses won 5-1. Five, 5-1. One. Five, one. So, things I mean, that is convincing. not just a win, is it? It's, um, it's a convincing win. It's yeah. a very convincing win. So, um, what about things like if the woman or the lady... I mean, which is, which is more flattering to call somebody, a football player, a lady or a woman?
1: a lady yeah. i would say
0: yeah you see ladies football women's football
1: and the lionesses is, is like very more feminine isn't it? It's, it's a lady i would say
0: it's quite interesting because if you're not careful uh, you you know you, you put your foot <laughs> in it and somebody's accusing you of something uh, very woke well, and all I, that
1: you know i would prefer to be to be referred to uh, as a as a lady i wouldn't say oh that woman over there that's a bit more aggressive isn't it that woman <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I think a lady... Not, not
1: as friendly, anyway, I think. Yeah.
0: yeah OK, lady. well, we'll um, we'll look, keep an eye on Iceland. Obviously, we look for the uh, lionesses and hope that uh, England do well. But let's just uh, leave it there for now as we look next at... Oh, I'll tell you what, no, I will ask you something else. If, uh, if it's a, a partnership and there's a baby involved, then obviously the male probably will be like a house husband
1: definitely especially if she's earning more more money than a husband or you could have uh, parents grandparents looking after her they're not trained they're, they're only training and then they might have to go away to a tournament and things like that so if they've got a good family net network uh, there's no reason why the husband can't still go to work if he has to uh, plus there's nurseries and things like that but uh, If you've got a a good grandparent, there'll always be a way around it.
0: Well, I was looking at some of the salaries uh, in the women's football and the one that sort of leapt out on me, I think it was the England captain, with the different things that she's involved with, can get up to about £500,000 for the year.
1: With advertising, yeah. Which is not bad. Not bad at all.
0: Not bad at all if you can get S- it. So
1: I think you can even afford to have a nanny in those situations if you had to.
0: Okay, let's find our next talking point. <laughs> It's always a bit difficult at this time of the year to get uh, really meaty subjects that you can really get your teeth into. But uh, here's one that I picked up on the BBC website. And homophobia is responsible for a large portion of abuse aimed at footballers and basketballers in the men's and women's game, according to a new report. Uh, Of more than 1,500 abusive posts included in the report... Homophobia abuse was 40% of posts targeted at male footballers, uh, 27% of that sent to female football players, and 46% of the abuse aimed at male basketballers. have never seen it written as basketballers. It's basketball players, surely. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, by all means, you can see lots of changes, but you don't need to change the language as well. And 90% of that posted to female. Ba- they, they go immediately to basketball players when it's to the ladies. Okay. Uh, messages directed at the athletes also included racism, sexism, and ableism. I mean, for goodness sake, when does this all end? Um, I've never heard that one, ableism. I, I suppose it's well, you know when you- you, when you uh, criticise and somebody shouting out you're useless and that, all that sort of stuff mm. that suppose is ableism. Uh, the joint report into online abuse and its impact on performance and mental well-being was conducted by the artificial intelligence company Signify uh, for Fifth Pro, the NBPA. Uh, see, this is all coming from America, and the trouble is, it all. Um, comes over, drifts into Britain, you'll get it in Spain, and before you can say Jack Robinson, we're all into this sort of stuff again. But uh, the posts were taken from the social media platform Twitter for five months between May and September of 2021 and directed at 160 of the most highly profiled male and female footballers and basketball players across the biggest leagues in Europe, the United States and South America. Um, So FIFA then have a study of Euros and AFCON And they found half of all the players abused online And Saka and Rashford, the most targeted Those were the young black lads that um, missed the penalties uh, If if you remember Okay, so, um, I mean, we didn't have to worry about things like this When we were bringing our kids up
1: That's what I'm saying, that's what I'm thinking, sorry How did everything happen and manage before? And uh, if they're getting abused online, isn't there any way that this f- f- marvelous Facebook or whatever it, you know, whatever source it's coming from, can't they block all these things or find out who's doing it? I mean, they c- they can find out other things that uh, you know addresses and telephone numbers and
0: um well know, we him. we had a situation yesterday when one of our friends was telling us uh, he'd put a picture of his little boy with um his daughter uh, His daughter was yeah, it she uh, had
1: ice cream round her face
0: okay and so facebook decided to block it
1: yeah they they said that no they've actually blocked him off facebook and we've seen far far worse photographs on facebook that not that I don't want to see them but you flick through them and you think How gross is that? You know, I mean, why don't they block people that do that? I mean, if people are abusing people and sending horrible texts, there's surely some uh, technology to find out where the source is coming from.
0: Well, you see, I think that they want the cake and eat it in one respect because the TV companies in particular are putting out so much gross stuff that I think, you know, you will get some people will object or react to anything um, no matter what. But when you've got pictures and uh, programmes, you can see this in the soaps, by the way. I think we've seen it in um, uh, even Coronation Street in places where really, you know, they've got a long history of maybe dabbling in social happenings. Um, But, I mean, if you've got... Um, the TV addressing as they talk about it, you know, oh, we have to address these things. They're really showing the kids how to do it, aren't they? They're showing the kids how to to abuse. What do you do? What do you say? You know...
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know whether... It, I um, I think it needs to be talked about uh, because there's lots of children and adults that are abused by male and female people.
0: Well, I mean, you can come but offline. You can exactly, g- get you off know, your computers, get off your telephones. You d- the minute you see it, just go yeah, go well, away from that station. But
1: that's why I can't understand why uh, the, te- the telephone companies can't block it and see it, that the people are getting abused...
0: Well, let me go on about uh, this particular article, which, as I say, is on the BBC website. So it's coming from a good source. um, And it says homophobia, a unique aspect of abuse. The report outlines how the abusive homophobic messages were unique in men's football because they were targeted at players who were not known to be gay. So, in other words, what they're saying is people are calling people gay if they're not gay. If that's the case, that shows you that the people who are putting that sort of abuse online, they find being gay not very um, much to their their liking. And the trouble is, you see, if you've got, as you have got, a lot of the promotion of the gay and the transgender equality, um, you see, the thing is, if you're talking to a majority about a subject which is really a minority subject... Don't be surprised if the majority hit back. Mm. I'm, I'm not, not condoning it, but I'm just saying don't be surprised. Let's um, go on. And the report detailed the most abused male footballer, who is not named, received exclusively LGBT-phobic abuse due to his support for the community. The report an- anonymized the 160 athlete- athletes' accounts but they include many of the most high-profile athletes in their sports. Now, there's nothing really to suggest to me that this is not just about mainly American things. I think that that they write these things so that even if you haven't really got a problem in your own country, if we sort of extend the study and go abroad, um, you know, and sort of make it sound like it's everywhere... Probably is smaller in certain places uh, rather than other places. But I mean, realistically, why don't the coaches just have sessions with the players say, get off your social media mm-hmm. or bring your social media into the training room and we will look at it together and then we'll tell you how we would advise you not to be involved with this.
1: I I would presume I don't know, but I presume when, when we were kids, if somebody playing football uh, missed a penalty, for instance, and it was you know a matter of uh, that they've lost the game and all that, I would imagine it's always happened that certain people will um, a, you know attack that person by phone. It would have been phone then, or I don't know how they would have done it then. But anyway, they would have been attacked. Maybe horrible letters came through to uh, the football ground and things like that. But some people are like that. I mean, they're they're just aggressive and horrible. They're not true supporters. They're they're just nasty, aren't they? They're just nasty, horrible people.
0: Well, uh, absolutely. Um, They've got nothing
1: better to do, have they, than... They're not the professional footballer earning X amount of money, so it's a bit of jealousy and I'll show you and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, be horrible to you and, and say horrible things.
0: Well, it goes on to say, how does the abuse impact the players? Athletes, mental well-being, lifestyle and performance were all affected by the abuse. The report says, adding that it attacks the character and personalities of players and forces them to hide and withdraw from who they are and want to be. Now, you see, I'm immediately looking uh, to another headline I've seen this morning. Jack Greilish, who who we all know is uh, very, very much wanting to get the the headlines, is seen having a party and uh, partying in his underwear was the headline. You see, again, if you're, um, you know, if you're doing that sort of thing, don't be yeah, surprised but, but, if... But if, if, if you're doing it in
1: private, Vince, if you're doing it in your house... But it can't be
0: in private, can it, if, they, if, if they've got it into the newspapers? No,
1: because somebody has taken a photograph, uh, an, opportunity, an opportunist, and sent it to the to the to um, the papers. You know, really, I think it's a bit unfair not f- to say if they're doing it in their own uh, house or, or gardens or wherever they are privately it their private life should be their private life if they i mean we yeah, ha- but but they uh, know
0: they know that they can't rely on that now you can't rely on a private so life
1: really, yeah, that's horrible. Then, isn't it? That you can't be famous, or you you can't have a life.
0: Well, that's always been the a, way.
1: Your own. But bi- well, it's it it's not be. just
0: it's not just sports people. Know, All sh- the actors and the singers and everybody else they they have this as well. Yeah, but uh, you should be you... Able to
1: have a private life. Well, in yeah, your but house.
0: you 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 look at the likes of Cliff Richard. Cliff yeah. Richard tries his best to be uh, private, and the BBC, from where we're taking this particular information. Um, this organisation were f- chasing him to try and find uh, some dirt to dish on him, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so uh, they're saying that players can also be targeted for abuse by followers of their own team, um, sponsors, competition organisers and media outlets. Safety measures are often missing, the report claims, and it highlights how a clear majority of abuse can still be found online online which exposes a lack of regulations and oversight. You don't see adverts always telling people, don't go online, stay away from social media. You never see that.
1: Well, funny enough, you should say this. Uh, You were talking about um, television and how they cover topics. There's a topic at the moment um, on Coronation Street, and her husband said exactly that to her. Don't look at the comments that people are saying to you, She's now a counsellor for for, you know, and all this and people are, are sending her horrible messages. And her husband said, Well, just don't look at them. And she says, No. She said, I want to see what people are saying. So you can't win really.
0: Well, uh, the recommendations of this report, the three unions that were involved in this, say industrial action is required to protect players which could include a combined campaign to raise awareness about the issue rather than a strike or further boycott of platforms. Uh, Last year, leading sports boycotted social media as they called on social media companies to combat abuse on their platforms. A separate report by Signify showed a drop in abuse was followed by a significant rise in May 2021 as the football season reached its conclusion. And the CEO, the chief executive officer of Signify, Jonathan Herschler, said we're confident that we will start to see more proactive real-world solutions protecting players from the poison of online abuse. I think one of the problems is people, um, whether they are particularly prepared to be um, activists in these things, a lot of people are sick to the back teeth of having all this woke stuff thrown at them and thrust down their neck, whether they like it or not. I mean, you know, how many LGBTQT people have you ever met in your life? Um, Probably, as an outgoing person who mixes with a lot of people, uh, I would say I've met no more than probably half a dozen.
1: Yeah, well, I'm with you, aren't I? So, yeah, the same. It's not sort of... uh every other person or anything like that, it's, it's uh, yeah, in 20 years, I think we've known uh, about maybe six or seven. And so is this, is
0: this a big deal in football? It shouldn't be a big deal in football because most kids who play football, they tend to be away from that sort of stuff or, you know, too much of that sort of stuff. You, you, that's what you tell your kids when you're growing up. Um, go and have a game of football. Go and go to the park and play, but you can't do it these days because um, you know there's just weirdos virtually everywhere you look. And why are the weirdos? In my opinion, I think it's because there's so many on TV. If if you don't stop it at the source, and then they just allow it to not only proliferate but they start promoting it. I mean, all you've got at the moment is our, our programs promoting many aspects of um, the, the behavior which is not what I would call normal mm. okay let's um, let's see what else we can find okay let's um, let's go to a an article I picked up and this was to do with Everton Sometimes so I feel I'm gonna break down and cry. Okay, this time we're talking about um, Everton and they've been sponsored by a car company for two seasons after previously ending a gambling sponsor deal early. And More than 20,000 people have signed an online petition calling for Everton to drop their new gambling sponsor. The club announced the record deal with online casino stake.com two weeks ago, meaning logos will appear on men's and women's team shirts next season. But there's been criticism from fans with campaigners calling the move saddening. Everton have previously said betting sponsors are not ideal, but needing to uh, consider commercial decisions. Many fans have accepted the club needed to take a different path after posting £370 in losses over the last three seasons. And it's understood that there are no plans to ditch the new partnership. But the recorded level of opposition to a sponsor is believed to be unprecedented in English football. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I think I'd be uh, one of the 20,000 that are objecting to it because um, I don't think it's a good idea to promote gambling. I mean, you, you know, it's already uh, a lot of people are addicted to gambling and have got themselves into uh, terrible, terrible debt, breaks up families, um, it commit, the people commit suicide through gambling. I know that's the extreme. But I don't think it should be uh, blatantly um, advertised on uh, football shirts. And also, then that means the fans that buy football shirts, they've got it on their t-shirt. And if you don't want to uh, advertise uh, the 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 bad things about uh, betting, you know, you're not going to buy the football shirt, are you? If you're a child, so they've got to think about things like that. I mean you know when you go shopping y- um, and you have a bag and it says you're from Top Shop or wherever the shop is you know you're proud to say that you've just bought a, a, an item of clothing or shoes Adidas shoes or whatever but would, would you really as a parent want your child to wear a shirt that's going to cost you between 20 and 30 pounds or more for the whole kit with advertising yeah betting's good for you or betting is the best thing I don't think so. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, but
0: we see this on uh, TV, and I often say to you that advert's hypocritical, and you will get you know this picture of all these people really looking happy and being uh, engaging in betting in. Bingo, for example, you know, and uh, you've got all these people all being so happy. Oh, bingo, bingo, I've won this. And, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and then uh, you have people who obviously are far from happy because gambling is always financed by the people that lose. But
1: at the end of all the adverts, it does say uh, betting, uh, bet responsible, responsible, but... That's just like a little a little tiny bit of a sentence at the end of this great big advert for Bessing. It's not it's not good enough. It's not good
0: enough. Okay, I've just got one more story which I'm discussing with um, Barbara Ann and then I'm going to find you some footy stories which are uh, something a little bit strange. So uh, the last one that I'm going to ask uh, Ann's opinion on Watford have cancelled a friendly against the Qatar national side after complaints from supporters groups uh, concerning about human rights. Rob Edwards' side was due to face the World Cup host on the final day of a pre-season camp in Austria on July the 10th. When the fixture was first announced, the Proud Hornets and Women's of Watford FC group said they were disappointed by the decision. Homosexuality is illegal in Qatar and there are strict anti-LGBTQ laws. The country have also been heavily criticised over its treatment of migrant workers building stadium uh, for the World Cup to be held in the country later this year. A club spokesman said the game was never finalised and it became abundantly clear this was a game not to play. As such, the schedule was revised. In a joint statement, the two supporters groups said, "Wow." and proud Hornets are delighted that Watford SC have listened to our concern and cancelled the game with Qatar. This actually totally uh, consolidates the way I think things are happening, what what really is going on. I think that they're trying to totally and utterly change the world that we lived in up till a a couple of months back. And uh, this is another thing that either... Um, You can agree that uh, it's a change for the better, or you can say, no, they shouldn't interfere. Personally, my own feeling is that Qatar was never going to be the right place. Now, this was not just about the human rights issues. It was about the fact that it's absolutely roasting hot. It's so hot that if people have got any problem at all with their heart and the lungs... Don't be surprised that if you then give them some medicinal input via a vaccine that you might get a reaction because people are not really supposed to be running around in such severe heat. So um, that's the physical and practical issue that I think UEFA and FIFA and all these other groups could have easily said it's not the right place. Um, You recently, even in the newspapers and on the news, you see Prince Charles coming back with a suitcase case allegedly full of 3,000 euros three uh, sorry th- th- oh, yeah of course <laughs> 3 million euros in I mean cash, in cash. for goodness sake uh, what sort of people have got 3 million to pop into a little uh, bag and uh, say well you know go and uh, give it to your favorite charity yeah. or whatever
1: exactly but if we, if we um, were buying or selling a house it's all got to be a bank transfer um and it's got to be proved that you've got it legally in the bank and things like that and then they they're trying to cover up that they sh- he shouldn't have um he shouldn't have uh, taken it in cash he should have said to me he should have said well done Thank you very much. Put it in the bank and do a bank transfer back to England. You see,
0: it's all very really well. The newspapers can tell us that the prince did this, the prince did that, yeah. uh, but come on! If there's a, you know, that many millions hanging round, and uh, it's all in cash, and people. Yeah, but
1: if, apart from that, I don't think that would happen. But it's not. The, yeah, but, but not that's, that's all very way. well. Saying
0: we don't think that will happen, we wouldn't have done in the past. But in today's world, what we're finding out is that all the people that we've respected and we thought they would never get implicated in any anything at all—look at Prince Andrew. Mm. I mean, for goodness' sake, uh, look at all the latest news that is obviously being suppressed. Um, it, about a book that's written by somebody who's actually been there yeah. and knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm afraid, uh, I know it's a little bit... Um, suspicious. Suspicious is one word that I'm going to use. But he, um, sh-
1: he should have said, that, "Yeah, I can't accept it in cash, put put it in the bank and I'll, take, I'll do a bank transfer. That's what he should have done. Because any, any other member of the public, you couldn't just give, unless you're in the... Um, in uh, the uh, the drug, uh, the mafia, the mafia would give you would give you cash, wouldn't they? I mean, it's it's like black money, isn't it? Definitely black money. Well,
0: look, you know, it's all very well because it's Prince Charles. It's suddenly a different ball game. If it was a an, any innocent young lad coming in in a, in a hoodie million. coming back with three million and
1: a present.
0: And, and you see stories all day and every day in the newspapers of what the authorities do to these people who were caught with anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, dodgy what, to say the least.
1: One rule for one and one rule for another.
0: OK, we're going to take a little break and uh, I'm going to come back with some rather interesting football stories. So, to finish off the podcast, what I thought we'd do is we'll have a look at a few lighter things because obviously, um, you know, you can see it's been quite difficult to try and motivate ourselves. And, um, whew, okay, well, we start off with a story which is called The Dog That Saved United. So, reading from the website, it's kind of wonderful to make misleading titles or subtitles. Well, the club under the microscope was actually Torquay United. Uh, Torquay, I think now they're not in the official leagues uh, that right write down sort of. Um, I think they even fell out of the National League, but maybe I'm right. They might be in the National League. Um, so, uh, not the one in Manchester. Hmm. Down by 2-0 at half-time, Tokyo United needed to salvage something from a game if they intended to stay up and not become the first team to get relegated from the Football League in 1987. Jim McNichol pulled one back just before half-time from a deflected free kick. A ray of hope was now visible, but what happened next was something no one could have predicted. As scorer McNichol ran towards the touchline to chase the dying ball... A German shepherd came out of nowhere and bit the former right back. Apparently, the dog named Bryn thought that the defender was running in to attack his handler, and the gashed McNichol's legs with his teeth. The fullback was down for five minutes, and five minutes were added as injury time. As luck would have it, Paul Dobson scored the equaliser in the final minutes of added time, which just about enough to keep Torquay up. 17 stitches and three holes in Jim McNichols leg was perhaps worth the pain not too sure about that right let me find you another story So, if you're anything like me, this is to do with a little bit of, um, shall we say, I don't know, superstition, maybe. All of us have some kind of rituals, and this is to do with a shirt and that fabulous player from Brazil, Pele. And um, deep in the dungeons of our subconscious mind, footballers are no different. And one of the most celebrated players of all time... Pele all all relied on rituals to play at his optimum best. It was during the mid-60s when he had a slump in form and it was really bad. It put the Santos fans and staff members in a perplexed state. Pele himself was deeply worried and sought to know uh, the cause of his downward spiral. After a lot of analysis, he came up with a genuine cause. He had given his lucky shirt to a Santos fan, which in turn caused his demise. And so he hired a detective to get back what he'd given away. Blimey. Um, After an extensive search, the detective that Pele hired brought him back the shirt and Pele got back to his best right away. Lucky fan. Well... A fun fact Pele's lucky shirt was never found, and what the detective gave him was his jersey from the previous game. As they say, it's all in the mind. Well, I'll go along with that one. Right, let me find you another one. <laughs> Okay, these are three yellow cards now for Josip Siminic. Not a name that springs to my mind, but maybe it should do. There are some things in football that one can never really uh, sort of get rid of. One of these is the controversies created by refereeing decisions. In almost every other game, regardless of the tournament, there's at least one officiating incident that becomes the topic of discussion among the fans and, of course, the pundits after watching the game. One such encounter that is remembered more due to terrible officiating than the football was a 2006 World Cup match between Croatia and Australia. After having picked a booking up in the 61st minute, uh, this guy, Simonik, was once again shown a yellow card for a rush challenge. And um, this was in the 90th minute. Now, players are usually sent off after the second yellow. That's supposedly the rule. However, the referee, Graham Pohl, failed to produce the red card, much to the surprise of even Simonik. So he went out to set it right, and three minutes later, argued vehemently with Pole. Now, this prompted the official to produce the third yellow, and this time, the red card finally appeared, The event was so embarrassing for Graham Pohl that he retired from officiating international games right after the World Cup. Now, having said that, I probably do remember a little bit about that. So, um, what else can I find you? These apparently are, well, I don't know. The little stories about football. one's called a manager for 10 minutes one of the most common ways of unemployment is structural unemployment that's when a person loses a job because their skills are uh, no longer deemed necessary by the top members of the hierarchy this usually happens when there's an industrial development or a change in structure now for this particular story Leroy Rossenia. Fell prey to the latter, which cost his job. Once again, Torquay, 2007. Rosseño lasted for just a humiliating 10 minutes at the club. I kind of remember this. Wasn't the owner uh, Mike Bateson? That's right, I'm just reading it now. He wanted someone to manage the club until the sale was completed. As Rosseño was literally just about to be unveiled as the new manager, the sale of the club was complete and he was informed that his services were no longer required poor Rossignol! he must have felt like a guy who earned a date for the the prom party but was ditched the moment they entered through the doors and the girl was asked out by somebody else that's quite sad that really anyway, what the world needs now is a little bit of love let's see what we can find for you
1: What the
0: Okay, so this is about a a guy who sold himself. So, I mean, we've got the transfers at the moment, massive money involved. And uh, let's find out whether this is a nicer story as I quickly look at it. Uh, What do you do when you're a football club on tight finances and need to save money in order to survive? Well, you appoint your 23-year-old star player as the player manager. What do you do when you're the player manager of a football club on tight finances that are showing signs of trouble and need money to ensure survival? Simply sell yourself. This is 1946, just after the war ended. Carlisle United, they signed a talented forward as their player manager, Ivor Broadis. Three years later, when the finances started to show worrying dips, Sunderland came knocking for the player manager. Sunderland were willing to pay... £18,000 to acquire the services of the inside forward and Brodish saw the chance to leave a strong financial legacy that could potentially save the club from obscurity so he sold himself and went on to play for England 18 times before returning to the club for a second spell that's nice Well, you're not going to get it from our next story because football became war. That was what uh, the story was looking at. And Pelly once dubbed football as the beautiful game. While football certainly divides opinion, it's one of the few things that allows people to momentarily forget about the real problems of the world. However, when football becomes the cause of one of the greatest real problems, it's truly depressing. In 1969, during a World Cup qualifier in Honduras, the hosts beat El Salvador 1-0 thanks to a last-minute goal. This prompted the fans in the stadium to go wild and fights broke out with the stadium being torched. Um, This is a bit extreme, isn't it? The media of both nations continued the friction and furthered the animosity by abusing each other in their respective outlets. The following leg was played in El Salvador and things went over the top when the hotel where the Honduras team was staying was torched during the dark of night. (sighs) Wow. Luckily, the players managed to escape unscathed but were left... Mentally disorientated by the event, obviously the away side lost the encounter, and once again chaos ensued. Cars were set on fire. This was in the street. Shop windows were broken. Such was the brutality that the hospitals and uh, <laughs> they were so full they set new attendance records. Things went completely out of hand on July the fourteenth, nineteen sixty-nine. ...when the military got involved and a full-fledged war between the two countries took place. The war began after the Salvadoran Air Force bombed within the Honduras borders. They also launched a full-scale foot attack along the main road connecting the two nations. Indeed, the Salvadorans were out for blood and would have spilled a lot more had they not run out of fuel and ammunition... After 100 hours of blood and war cry, 6,000 people lost their lives, 12,000 were wounded, and 50,000 lost their homes. The root of this war was the massive deportation of Salvadoran immigrants who left their nation about a decade prior to this due to the lack of living land from, of course, Honduras. The tensions were burning inside, and it took a football match to add fuel to it, something that can never be forgotten. Goodness gracious me, that sounds absolutely awful. Have we got time for one more? Let me just put a quick bit of music on. I'm afraid we haven't. We've run out of time. I did have quite a cracking story as well, but we'll save that for another week. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Barbara Ann for joining me on the first part of our podcast. all for your feet. Up up and down the floor When you're talking to me